illegal gatherings cause more infections. There was 50 people in an establishment that should not have been having a games night. Also, how long you can wait for that second shot. New video of the suspect in a random attack that terrified residents of Vancouver's West End. Can you help identify him? And sunken treasure. This last summer I found uh, two GoPros and 26 cell phones. A local diver reuniting people with their lost belongings. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Mother Nature has thrown a wrench into Canada's COVID-19 vaccination plans with severe weather shutting down a critical shipping hub. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, one B.C. expert says the logistical challenges for B.C. and Canada to meet vaccination goals may have just begun. Winter weather was always going to be a factor in vaccine delivery. Tuesday, snow forced the closure of the UPS facility at Louisville, Kentucky. The shipping hub where tens of thousands of vials of Pfizer vaccine are waiting to be shipped to Canada. Another delay in getting this country's lagging rollout started again. The pause coming as both approved vaccine manufacturers essentially shut off the taps. As a result, Canada has managed so far to vaccinate just 1.3 million people. Slightly more than Washington state has been able to partially protect. The number in the U.S.? 50 times more than Canada has been able to achieve. We are very well on track to getting those 6 million vaccinations by the end of March, tens of millions of vaccinations uh, through the spring. Experts say that's a best case scenario and at this point overly optimistic. My hope is that uh, the provinces have come up with a very robust plan to vaccinate the different segments of the population um, so that we can get to a target by September. Now I can tell you that this is not a very simple task and that is probably evident to most of us. When the vaccines begin to arrive, the plan remains to inoculate as many people as possible with a first dose. About four to 5,000 people may miss the 42-day window for their second shot, but evidence suggests it can be stretched out weeks past that if needed. We are reassured that delaying that for weeks, even to months, and in the UK and in um, Quebec, they're looking at 90 days or three months. With time to plan for mass vaccinations, the assumption is the rollout will go smoothly. But without a third or fourth vaccine approved for use, the targets for both Canada and BC seem incredibly difficult to reach. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, we have four days of COVID-19 data from health officials in our province. B.C. has recorded 1,533 new cases in that time, bringing our total to 74,283. 26 more people have died. That means we have now lost 1,314 people to complications of the virus. 231 people are in hospital, 74 in the ICU. 68,705 are considered recovered. We are now left with 4,189 active cases and 7,136 people in self-isolation. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on today's briefing, including the growing concern about the R rate and the positivity rate, Keith, especially in the Fraser Health region. 
Yeah, the Fraser Health region seems to be a concern now. For the longest time, our pandemic was very much centered in Fraser Health. They were getting 400, 500 cases a day. Uh, but they started to get the numbers down in January. It's very encouraging. But take a look at the last couple of weeks. This is not necessarily encouraging. Our most populous health authority since uh, February 1st, our seven-day case average is now 222. That's up 18% in two weeks. Our positivity rate in Fraser Health is 7%. That's up from 5.2% on February 1st. Why is this happening? A clue may be in what you're about to hear from Dr. Bonnie Henry, about 50 people gathering illegally, resulting in so many people getting sick and infecting schools, workplaces and child care center. We know uh, the games night where there was 50 people in an establishment that should not have been having a games night and that 15 people from that, um, that event which um, is against orders, uh, became infected and spread to several workplaces, to schools, and to a childcare centre. So these things are what we all need to hold each other to account. So as much as Fraser Health Authority continues to be a new concern, the good news is that case numbers are dropping on average, seven-day average in other health authorities, including Vancouver Island, the interior, and the north, although the north still remains a bit of a concern. So our daily average, 414, that's been going down, but we've got to get it down a lot more than that if uh, we expect these restrictions mm -hmm. to ease up by the end of the month. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Richmond RCMP say they handed out more than $17,000 in fines over the weekend, busting two karaoke parties that were in violation of COVID-19 health orders. The Mounties raided a karaoke bar near the Aberdeen Mall and a commercial premises on Shell Road that was hosting a karaoke party. They issued 55 tickets for $230 and two $2,300 tickets to the operators. Canada's shortfall, ongoing shortfall of vaccine deliveries is also crippling the effort to vaccinate B.C.'s First Nations communities. So far, just over a third of the 42,000 first doses earmarked for those communities have been delivered and injected. Nadia Stewart has the details. It has been a challenging start to the year for First Nations communities across the province. January bringing with it a surge in COVID-19 cases and an inadequate number of vaccines. We have not been able to completely meet the goals that we have set, but we have used every single dose that we have been given um, to vaccinate as many people as possible, starting with our most remote uh, communities. Early in the pandemic, some communities were forced to deny outside access. The only way to protect themselves from the virus, keeping visitors out and residents safe. Of the 203 First Nations in B.C., 90 of them have received the vaccine. That amounts to about 16,000 people out of 42,000. The vaccine's arrival is being met with a mix of relief and concern. In certain ways, the vaccine rollout has created a new set of stresses around vaccine hesitancy and the reasons why uh, that might be the case. And, and then on the other hand, there's a great deal of apprehension from other people about, you know, when is it going to be my turn to be vaccinated? Up until now, the First Nations Health Authority has been using the Moderna vaccine, but said Tuesday they might have to start using Pfizer. This as an increase in deliveries of the vaccine is expected this week. But getting it to some of the people in this province who need it most is not without challenges, as they work with their partners who distribute the vaccine differently from the health authority. They've had to spread their vaccine over many, many more people, so are, are more inclined with the 65-plus um, uh, 
population where we have been quite uh, focused on everybody over the age of 18. The hope is to have completed the first dose of the vaccine for every nation by the end of March, pending availability. Nadia Stork, Global News. While care home residents and staff have been BC's top priority for vaccination, those first shots in the arms have not prevented ongoing outbreaks at some of the facilities already hit hard by COVID-19. As Richard Zussman reports, the outbreak serving as a reminder that vaccination is not the end of the pandemic. It's their only look outside world. The residents, the George Derby Long-Term Care Centre in Burnaby, in the midst of COVID-19 outbreak protocols for the third time. Is it difficult? Of course it is. Yeah. Did we want this? No. No one, no one wants this. The outbreak has been going on since November 13th, the longest in the province. Since then, there have been 109 cases, 84 residents and 25 staff, and 33 residents have died. Uh, it is the most challenging outbreak that we have, and, and sadly, the, the, the number of people who've, who've died from COVID-19 has been very high. With all residents and staff offered the vaccine and a ban on visitors, the big question is, how are outbreaks still happening? The, the sad thing is that most of the deaths that we've had in long-term care are in outbreaks that started prior to uh, the immunization program. The province's seniors advocate says the screening process for anyone going in and out of a care home in BC is not extensive enough and there should be testing put in place immediately. I think we do have to look at things like uh, rapid testing uh, in order to be able, certainly in the case of an outbreak, to be able to pick up very quickly uh, people who might be infectious. The other factor is the vaccine. While it hasn't prevented all spread, it has slowed it in long-term care. On December 15th, there were 50 long-term care and assisted living facilities with outbreaks. On Tuesday, 16. What we aren't seeing is the rapidly spreading outbreaks that we saw earlier on in November and, and into December prior to immunization. So, you know, the protection that we're seeing is very robust. The seniors advocate has not started the work yet on a report that will look into the worst of the care home outbreaks. Those at George Derby still working to stop the current spread. You wake up every day knowing today's going to be a better day. And hoping for the day its outbreak is deemed over. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Police are releasing new security camera video of the suspect in an attack on a woman in Vancouver's West End, hoping someone will recognize the man. Grace Key is live with more on this. Grace, it happened over the weekend, very unsettling for the community there, but this is an excellent clue. Yeah, it's a pretty good video that you see. You don't get to see the man's face, but you do get a full shot of this individual. We're just in the alley where the attack happened, just on Maxine Lane in between Butte and Thurlow Streets. So Vancouver police did release out uh, a couple of videos. They happened just before and after the attack. So one of them shows the suspect walking towards the victim, and she did report hearing footsteps just before he grabbed her from behind and then tackled her to the ground. In the other video, you see the suspect running westbound towards Butte and police believe the woman's screams actually scared him off. The attack happened at 9.40 Saturday night. The 24-year-old woman was shopping on Davie Street and was on her way home when she was attacked and police say it was unprovoked.
We don't know who this suspect is. And that is why today we are releasing this footage because we uh, desperately want to know who this suspect is. This was a, an unprovoked um, attack on this female that was walking home from shopping, something that you and I do all the time. And uh, so it's very concerning to us, as we have mentioned. So uh, we want people to take a good, hard look. I know his face might not be that uh, prominent, but again, if somebody does know who this suspect is based on the video that we're showing, uh, please call us. So the suspect is believed to be white, about 5 feet 11 inches tall, and in his mid-40s, he was wearing a waist-length black leather jacket and dark pants and a dark COVID mask. Police are also providing a description of the victim, just hoping to jog people's memories. She's white, 5 feet 8 inches, and slim with long brown hair. She was wearing Ugg boots, black yoga pants, and a black winter jacket with fur-lined hoods. So again, if you were in the area at the time of the attack, if you think you saw anything unusual, you're asked to call Vancouver police. Chris. All right, Grace Key, thank you. Two men charged in the home invasion death of a Vancouver senior appeared in court today. 41-year-old Pascal Boudiet, who is accused of second-degree murder in the death of 78-year-old Usha Singh, remains in custody at North Fraser Pretrial Centre, while 47-year-old manslaughter suspect Sandy Parisian is being held in Delta Pretrial. Singh was viciously attacked in her home near Queen Elizabeth Park on January 31st by two men allegedly posing as police officers. She died in hospital two days later. Buriet and Parisian are due back in court next month when disclosure statements are expected. New rules to regulate guns that miss the mark, according to some. How the Trudeau government just gave municipalities a lot of firepower to put in their own rules governing handguns. That's next on the News Hour. Millions without power across the U.S. in places where they don't usually have to deal with the biting cold. That's coming up on the News Hour. And the attempt to rescue a goose with a discarded face mask wrapped around its leg. How this all ended coming up later. Right now, though, the federal government is launching its long-promised buyback program for banned assault or assault-style weapons. Ted Chernecki has more on the newly tabled legislation that will also allow cities to ban handguns and why critics say the liberals are missing the mark. Pull that trigger of a legally registered handgun in the future and you could be breaking federal and potentially new city bylaws. If anyone chose to take that firearm and discharge it at a range, then then there would be that would be that would be illegal use of a prohibited weapon. Ottawa plans to go after all handguns, even legal ones. It's aimed at making our streets safer. No more tragedies. No more wrong place, wrong time. The right place to act is here, and the right time is now. I can tell you, in my 40 years of policing, I never seized a legal firearm used in any gang shooting, ever. Already critics are lining up accusing the Liberals of missing the target. The real problem is most Canadians live along the border with the United States. Which is like the firearm capital of the world. They can get firearms. Kids run across the border in Abbotsford gang members with guns in their pockets and, and assault rifles. You can't stop them. The proposed federal law also calls for unspecified tougher penalties for those caught smuggling firearms. And for those who do own soon-to-be-prohibited weapons, there'll be a previously announced program where Ottawa expects to spend four to $600 million buying back prohibited weapons. And Ottawa wants to give power to municipalities so they can make their own gun bylaws. It's 
uh, security th theater of the highest order. Well, boy, our municipality, our city has a ban on handguns. Does it stop crying? No. Surrey and Vancouver have already said that they will introduce new anti-gun bylaws. Of course, I, I do have a gun license. I have a gun license for registered and non-registered weapons. Uh, so I grew up in a, a family that owned guns. My grandfather was a gunsmith. I know my grandfather would say, get the guns out of the cities. And that's what uh, this bill is aiming to do, and I'm going to support it as much as I can. Australia and New Zealand introduced similar buyback programs after mass shootings there, and they were mandatory. Canadians, however, will be able to keep their restricted weapons if they want. They just can't use them. Legally. Ted Chernacki, Global News. The family of a Penticton woman gunned down by her common-law partner nearly a decade ago is compelled to speak out tonight. Her convicted killer, a former police officer, was recently granted more freedom while behind bars. Global's Shelby Tom has more. August will mark 10 years since Lynn Comring was shot in the face and killed by her common-law partner, Keith Weens, at their Penticton home. In 2013, Weens was convicted of second-degree murder by a jury. Court heard the retired police officer discharged the gun after an argument over money, and in a drunken and desperate bid to make it look like self-defense, he planted a knife in her hand. Weens was sentenced to life in prison with no chance chance of parole for 13 years. The 65-year-old is believed to be serving time at a minimum security prison in Ontario while granted some freedoms. The parole board once again approving supervised outings for community service, writing in a February 8th decision, it will assist in your rehabilitation by reinforcing pro-social behaviors and attitudes and allow you to give back to the community. It hasn't been 13 years yet, so I, I don't understand why he has any privileges at all, to be honest. Lynn's daughter, Brandy, says she opposes any escorted absences. Because this keeps coming back up, we've never had a chance to really heal it, you know, to move forward. Um, and it seems every, every time we do go forward a little bit, this comes up. In its decision, the parole board says Weens still believes that he suffered an injustice, that he lacks empathy for his victim and has not taken accountability. So that to me is a problem when... After all these years, you still have not admitted that you did wrong. While considered a low risk to public safety, the parole board says Weens remains a high risk for domestic violence. Brandy says she'll fight to keep her mother's killer behind bars for as long as possible. She's missing out on her granddaughters, her grandchildren. Even at my age now, not having a mom around is pretty tough. Weens is up for day parole in January. Shelby Tom, Global News. Coming up, how we're all paying for someone else's problem. These phone owners walk away or we can't find them. The new fund to help clean up derelict boats on the B.C. coast. And near disaster in Amsterdam when a group of skaters falls through the ice. Traffic is busy but steady in both directions this evening over at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Also seeing some minor delays through Richmond eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. For 47 years, Kermac Collision and Auto Glass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Lower mainland drivers are being asked for their thoughts as the B.C. government prepares for the next phase of widening Highway 1 through Langley. 
The province is launching an online public engagement process on the work, which will widen a 10-kilometer stretch of Highway 1 between 216th and 264th. The project will include a new pedestrian and cyclist crossing at Glover Road, upgrades to the 232nd Street interchange, and will replace the railway bridge just east of Glover Road. The neighborhoods on either side of that stretch of highway are among the fastest growing in the region. Well, there are thought to be thousands of derelict and abandoned boats clogging B.C. waterways, posing persistent environmental and navigational hazards. Until now, the costly process to remove them has largely fallen on the private sector and volunteer groups. But the federal government is now committing more money to help clean up this coastal eyesore. Kylie Stanton reports. They wash up, rusted out, sometimes barely afloat. Derelict vessels have become fixtures in virtually every coastal community across the province. We've had a lot of boats come ashore, you know, at Gyro. We've done some stories on that. This is styrofoam. And Oak Bay has too. It's an old dinghy or rowboat. And what's unfortunate is that these boat owners walk away or we can't find them. And then society as a whole has to clean up their mess. But now the federal government is stepping in to help through its abandoned boats program announcing nearly $1.7 million in funding for the assessment and removal of derelict vessels in Canadian waters. I mean, it's really a cause for celebration and it makes a huge difference for the coastal communities here um, in, in British Columbia. The money will fund 44 assessments of boat removal projects in BC, Newfoundland and Labrador and the removal of 51 abandoned boats in BC and Nova Scotia. 100% of the costs, up to $50,000 per project, will be covered. It was long awaited. Salish Sea Industrial Services Limited is one of the recipients. It has until March 31st to remove 24 vessels in the Greater Victoria area. We received about $550,000. We like to think that with this funding we are making a difference, um, but this is, this is an ongoing project. It's estimated there are currently more than 4,000 derelict vessels in BC's coastal waters. And that number increases by the day. While the funding is appreciated, it will only address the removal of a fraction of what's out there. It'll make a scratch, not a dent, actually. It, uh, there's a lot more out there. We've identified through databases and things. we got a ways to go yet. The only way to really make any headway is to ensure the funding continues well into the future. It's already proving to be a worthy investment. Every boat removed leaves economic stimulus in its wake. To have these programs roll out, to be able to create these meaningful employment opportunities in our coastal communities has really been a, uh, you know, had a huge impact. Kylie Stantic, Global News. Some explosive revelations reveal a scandal at the U.S. border. I don't know what's worse, the actual operation or the cover-up. How U.S. border agents targeted and detained people of a certain ethnicity. Coming up. Also tonight, the personal information stolen by data thieves in a serious security breach at SFU. Join Global BC as we celebrate the hope your help can bring. With three days of stories and interviews all leading up to this year's Variety Children's Charity Show of Hearts Telethon. Saturday, February 20th on Global BC. Traffic is in good shape both ways over here at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind, though, south of it on Highway 99 during the overnight hours, you will find delays and lane closures for some overnight upgrades. 
Connect Hearing has strict safety protocols in place. Take your first steps towards better hearing. Book a free appointment with Canada's number one physician-referred hearing healthcare provider today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. New documents reveal some shocking details about the border crackdown Iranian Canadians and Americans faced after a U.S. military drone killed a top Iranian general last year. Catherine Urquhart has more on the arbitrary detentions of anyone with links to Iran and why even U.S. border agents themselves were stunned at the chaos that unfolded. It was a chaotic scene at both the Peace Arch and Pacific Highway crossings. On the first weekend of 2020, over a 48-hour period, 277 people were held for secondary screenings, many for five hours or longer. All were of Iranian descent. Now, newly released documents reveal more about a troubling directive. Definitely disturbing. I don't know what's worse, the actual operation or the cover-up. Confusion started hours after the U.S. killed one of Iran's most powerful men, General Qasem Soleimani. U.S. Customs and Border Protection advised heightened vigilance at crossings. A high threat alert was circulated, advising agents to target travelers with ties to Iran, Lebanon and Palestine. I was quite frankly shocked by some of the details, how they were sending in every single Iranian-born individual into secondary inspection, interrogating them, detaining them for hours upon hours. I think some people were there for almost 12 hours. During their detainment, exhausted travelers were forced to sit on the floor as there weren't enough seats. North Vancouver's Sam Satter was held for nine and a half hours. I say more than 100 people I saw is born in Iran. Did I work with the government? Did I do terrorist things? No. Why, why us? Why innocence? 87 pages of internal documents were released following a Freedom of Information request by Politico. They confirm border agents followed directives to detain anyone with ties to Iran. Then they waited for instructions from Director Adele Fasano. But she was on vacation and stopped answering her emails. Then U.S. officials lied about what happened. I was expecting some sort of final analysis or recommendations. There's nothing. Saunders believes the new information will lead to lawsuits against U.S. Customs and Border for targeting people of Iranian descent, something he hopes will never happen again. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Simon Fraser University says data thieves may have gained access to the personal information of approximately 200,000 people in a cyber attack on one of its servers. The university says spreadsheet data on the hacked server contained personal details on current and former students, faculty, staff and student applicants. 75% of those affected had student or employee ID numbers and at least one other data element exposed, but no names. SFU says no banking details, social insurance numbers or passwords were compromised. Although it believes the risk of identity theft is low, people should monitor their personal accounts and memberships for unusual activity at least over the next several months.
Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh wants to see the military help speed up vaccine efforts. Singh says while provinces have not specifically asked for military help, the capacity is there. He's criticizing the Liberals' approach of giving provinces the supply, but then leaving it up to them to deliver the rollout. Singh says there is already precedent for this, with both the U.S. and Scotland using its armed forces to help set up and run vaccination sites. Still to come, a man who loves diving for trash. This is something I really like to do. Like everyone has their own hobbies and I just kind of like finding stuff. The sunken treasure he's pulled from the depths of BC lakes and waterways coming up later. Plus weird weather in a lot of places, including the US where millions are without power. Well, check out this unusual site, the Acropolis and other ancient monuments in Athens covered in snow. The snowfall forcing officials to halt COVID-19 vaccinations in the capital. Same goes for a number of other services in the city, including public transit and power has been knocked out in parts of central Greece. Snow is common in northern Greece, but people in Athens very rarely see snow in the city, especially heavy snow like this. Meantime, across the United States, millions of people woke up to and remain under a series of winter storm warnings. Heavy snow, ice and tornadoes have left a path of destruction across dozens of states. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. Amid an ongoing Arctic blast, parts of America unaccustomed to winter's true wrath have been left to dig out and slow down in order to survive. It's frozen inside. In Texas, its power system buckled as bone-chilling cold drove up demand. Rolling blackouts, typically seen during heat waves, plunging four million people into the dark. Somebody's got to do some planning after all this is over and make sure there's an alternative source of energy. In Fort Worth, the water treatment plant went offline, forcing a boil water advisory. An unmitigated disaster still unfolding where the response mimics that of a hurricane. Things will likely get worse before they get better. The power issues also putting pressure to use up COVID-19 vaccines. A power outage at a Houston facility forced officials to give away 5,000 doses, saving 3,000. We could actually re-refrigerate and administer later. For some, this is a chance to get outdoors. But the cold has moved so far south, a long walk on the beaches of the Gulf require mitts and a toque. For weeks, dozens of states have been pummeled by a series of winter storms. Slick roads barely getting time to melt before the next round of snow and ice arrives. As the storm moved east, it whipped up a so-called snow-nado in Texas and created a dramatic scene in Louisiana as power lines arced amid the freezing weather. While further east... Multiple houses, gone, nothing but foundations. I need help. A tornado ripped through this North Carolina town, damaging or destroying at least 50 homes. Twisters also touching down in Georgia and Florida. We've got some structure issues that we know are out there. The storm is now eyeing the U.S. Northeast, having left its mark all the way back through Oregon. Forecasters say the U.S. is suffering through the most unrelenting winter weather pattern in decades. And the season still has more than a month to go. Reggie Chikini, Global News. That's scraping. I'll tell you what, I was watching you guys at five o'clock and the sun was setting behind Christy mm-hmm. and it looked absolutely spectacular with some of that sunshine. Dark out there now, but it was good to see some of that today. And you're up. I don't hear anything. <laughs> oh, hi, Christy. Hi, Christy. 
Thanks so much, you guys. Well, it was it was a gorgeous day today, that's for sure. We had blue sky all across the region. It's amazing what a difference two days make. The snow's all gone. It felt almost like spring today. But I tell you, people are still super excited about all the snow we saw. So here's a look at some of your photos. We can't get enough of them, that's for sure. Check out this little cutie. Uh, his or her name, Grace Kelly, probably her. Uh, Mindy Dick sending us that one from uh, North Saanich area. Yes, snow fun is so fun. Look at all of these people with great... Um, uh, creativity. This one, Grandpa carrying Gabriel in the laundry basket there. And check out this guy. Yes, the, either the Loch Ness Monster or uh, I'm not sure, but green is incredible. And look at the, <laughs> this one. Yes. Oh, or potentially the Ogopogo. Yes. Good point. And this one from Port Ellis. A uh, lot of fun being had by everyone, even uh, the little kids and the big kids. Now, tomorrow, we're in for a clear day. We really don't have much to worry about. Could be a bit cold to start with during the day, but it's not until Thursday that we're expecting this next system to roll in. Now, there's a chance with this next system, some higher elevation regions could see snow, but for the most part, we're talking about rainfall for the lower mainland, but stay tuned on that one. In the meantime, enjoy your Wednesday. Now, for those of you in the Okanagan Valley, snowfall expected overnight. In fact, heavy snow in through Kamloops right now. That will ease quickly early tomorrow morning for you and you'll enjoy sunshine. So enjoy that one day on Wednesday with sunshine. We'll be tracking a Thursday potential snowfall for higher elevation regions and overall over the next few days it is going to be unsettled. So Wednesday's definitely the highlight. And here's your central windows weather window for tonight. Barred Owl out in the Fraser Valley. Not bothered by much certainly not the snow <laughs> thank you to brad for that one so wise looking proud up there okay a scary scene in amsterdam several skaters had to be rescued when they fell through the ice on the canal as the skaters attempted to pull themselves out of the water and onto the remaining ice, bystanders used hockey sticks and ropes to help them to safety. Some even risked walking onto the ice to try to help. Eventually, everyone was rescued. The Dutch Skating Association is now warning the public about thin ice. Warning could have come a few days ago, I'm betting. Would have been a little... It looked really thin. A little better. Really thin. Okay, let's see what's going on on the ice for the Canucks. Here's Squire. You want me to do a segue by saying the Canucks were skating on thin ice? I mean, I could, but it's pretty obvious, is it not? Uh, actually, the Canucks feel their play of late has been better, and they actually deserve more than they've got. I'm just repeating the process over and over, and, and hopefully at the end of the month we've made up some ground. But last night, despite tying the game late, they lost a bit more ground to Calgary by losing in overtime. All right, look forward to that, Squire. Also tonight, the trash diver pulling all kinds of random stuff out of BC Lakes. Squire was reminiscing about Sesame Street in the And a break. song about the letter J. There are two J's who read sports in this building, J. Durant and J. Janauer. So every time I say their names or see them in the office, I think of an old Sesame Street song about the letter J. Because it kept going on about Jay. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. it. I'm not going to sing it. The Muppets sang it beautifully. Um, my question is, was some sort of curse put on the Vancouver Canucks this year? It's getting to the point where any mistake they make with the puck ends up in their net. Bo Horvat last night, weak pass, 
maybe that wouldn't be a goal nine out of ten times. But Calgary scored on it. And then, of course, Nate Schmidt's mistake, which ended up in the back of the net. Schmidt has scored more goals on the Canucks than he has on the opposition. It was a tough loss last night to Calgary. But the Canucks are back at practice again this morning with another game against Calgary, this time in Calgary tomorrow. Full practice for the Vancouver Canucks today, coming off of last night's 4-3 overtime loss to the Calgary Flames. Defensive structure and safely breaking out of their own end, a recurring theme here on the ice at Rogers Arena. We all saw how those self-inflicted wounds ended up costing the Canucks a valuable and much-needed two points. Vancouver picking up three of a possible six points here on home ice, and right now, considering where the Canucks are in the standings, it's just not good enough. Same goes for what used to be a once-lethal power play. A season ago, it was ranked fourth overall in the National Hockey League, this year, it's ranked 20th. I think we were a bit sloppy. We weren't making the plays. We weren't breaking in the puck like we normally do. Um, I think we just uh, keep high standards. Uh, we know we weren't good last game. Travis Green ended today's practice by having a quick word with his team at Center Ice. He briefly spoke about last night's game before moving on to tomorrow's tilt in Calgary. He stressed the importance of a strong start in Calgary, but then he followed it up by adding that he likes where the Canucks game is trending right now. And that has to do with the fact that they've practiced four of the last eight days. It's something that eluded the Canucks the first month of the season when they were basically playing every second night. You know, we had a stretch there really from game one to game 14, 15, 16, where we, I think we had three practices. Yeah. And we've got to take a look at certain parts of our game that we really felt needed improvement, that we tried improving on with video. And, and you know, sometimes that's easier said than done. We had to actually go out and get hands-on and, and do some drills that help different parts of our game and give our guys credit. Uh, they worked hard in these practices. So we're now officially a third of the way through the Vancouver Canucks season. The Canucks' five games remaining in the month of February, and winning them all would go a long way towards this team getting back into the playoff picture. Following tomorrow's game in Calgary, Vancouver comes back home to Rogers Arena for two games against the Jets and two games against the Oilers. Winnipeg currently sits third, Edmonton fourth, and Calgary fifth. So you can see what a serious winning streak means for the Vancouver Canucks. Bundled up inside Rogers Arena and Squire, no shawl required. Jay Janwer, Global Sports. You know, that look that Jay has would have been really huge in a 1990s European disco. <laughs> it looked very With good. With his old frosted tips that he Oh, had. yes, he had frosted he had tips. Frosted. Well, it's been cold enough lately to have frosted <laughs> tips. Uh, if you uh, think losing made Canucks management wince, how about what happened today to their first-round draft pick, Vasily Podkolzin, in the game in the KHL? He took a headshot that left him needing to be helped off the ice. I don't think this was on purpose, but that doesn't make it hurt any less. Pod Colson took a shoulder right to the face, tried to get up on his own, couldn't get up. His St. Petersburg teammates had to help him off the ice. No official word yet on whether it's a concussion or not, but if it's not a concussion, Pod Colson has one strong head. Well, we had a 43-year-old winning Super Bowl quarterback this month. Why not a 39-year-old winner of an Australian Open championship. Serena Williams, who will turn 40 this September, is in the semifinals down under after knocking off number two Simona Halep in straight sets. We should say that number one Ash Barty was also knocked off today. Leaving the path for a 24th Grand Slam title a bit clearer for Serena, although she does have to face number three Naomi Osaka in the semis. This is Serena and Halep. Now, watch the defense here by Serena. 
Doesn't matter where Hallett puts this ball, Serena's going to get it. The other corner, yep, I can get that too. I can get this one that went off the net. And I can get that one. She could have got them all day. A straight set win by number 10, Serena Williams. She is now one win away from the finals, but Osaka will not be easy. Uh, BC Super Week of Cycling is not going to happen this July. All races had to be cancelled, just as they were last year. As one of the largest uh, road cycling series in North America, there's a lot of factors to be looked at. Uh, we've got the athlete safety with probably 40% of them coming from uh, outside of Canada, so U.S. and, and Europe. Uh, and we also have thousands of spectators that are coming out, you know, upwards of over 20,000 spectators at a single event. So, you know, those are two big factors to take into consideration uh, when we're making this type of decision. All right, Champions League, Lionel Messi, Barcelona against Paris Saint-Germain. Messi did score on a penalty kick, but this wasn't close. Paris Saint-Germain, thanks to three goals from Kylian Mbappe, there is the second one. This is the third one from Julian Draxler and a 4-1 final. Uh, another game saw Liverpool beat Leipzig by the score of 2-0. First leg of Champions League, round of 16. All right. That's it. You got it. Thank you very much, Squire. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Andrew for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. More tonight on how some British Columbians aren't recognizing the risks involved in social gatherings. Dr. Bonnie Henry revealing today that events like this illegal speakeasy that was busted in Vancouver recently are responsible for 40% of new COVID-19 exposures. Plus, another rescue on Vancouver's North Shore today will explain the trouble this man got into at Lynn Canyon. That story and more tonight at 11. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thanks, Anne. We're going to go back to Lynn Canyon for a diver who likes going underwater to find the stuff we drop. It's a fascinating story coming up next. A grassroots wildlife rescue effort in Vancouver today, custom made for this time of COVID. Oh, poor guy. It happened in David Lamb Park. People noticed a Canada goose with a non-surgical mask wrapped around one leg. The bird was constantly pecking at it, making it wor- but making it worse, a number of people tried to corral the goose. Not surprisingly, the bird was having none of it. It looked like he had been just tightening it every time he took or had an attempt to uh, relieve himself of it. Poor little guy. Thankfully, the problem solved itself. The mask finally just fell off on its own and was put in the garbage where it belongs. What your tip is? Cut the straps. Also, when you're out, just stuff it in your pocket and take it home so you can cut the straps and put it in your own garbage. (laughs) Not on the floor, on the seawall. Simple. All right, if there's one thing British Columbians love to do, it's to be near or on the water. And a local guy is taking full advantage, spending a lot of time under it, too. He's an avid diver who posts videos of the things he finds that a lot of people have dropped. And some of it you'd never expect. Linda Aylesworth reports. To his friends, Clayton Helkenberg is known as the aquatic monkey. 
because of his affinity for water and knack for finding things in it. It's just something I really like to do. Like everyone has their own hobbies and I just kind of like finding stuff. On this day in Lynn Canyon in North Vancouver, he knows exactly what he's looking for. I was uh, flying my drone just over here and uh, I think the wind caught it and it hit one of the branches and it dropped right into the water. After checking around on the internet, he finally found Clayton, who offers his service free of charge. It's something he's been doing a lot more of since the pandemic put him out of work. I had a lot of free time, so I thought I'd do something productive, and we started just diving almost every day. He free dives without scuba gear on Cultus Lake most of the time. I find people's valuables and try returning it to them. Um, but during doing all that, we find a lot of trash. And whenever we find trash, we try to take that out of the water too. He records his dives, which he often does with a buddy, and puts them up on YouTube, highlighting both the good and the bad. We've had some pretty large hauls. One was well over a thousand pounds. I think it was 15 tires, a car bumper, good 500 cans and bottles. It's a bit disheartening. Posting videos is one way to spread the message that out of sight, as in disposing of trash and bodies of water, should not be out of mind. But as with many things, there is a silver lining. Last summer I found uh, two GoPros and 26 cell phones. I was able to return one of the GoPros and I think it was nine cell phones I was able to get back to the owners. And on this day, yet another success. From 15 feet below the icy waters in Lynn Canyon, Jason's drone emerges. It may not have survived, but there's a good chance the memory card has. Thank you. I respect that. I think that's very, uh, can't find a lot of people like that, which is very nice. So I appreciate that a lot, what you did. It's super nice to know when, like, especially when people get their items back. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. That, that's fantastic. He posted uh, earlier, too, that he got some beer from a beer maker when they showed a video where he had pulled up a bunch of beer. So I think Budweiser sent him a bunch of stuff, too. Way to go. <laughs> it wasn't like he pulled up the full beer from the bottom of the lake. <laughs> no, it, well, he did do that, but they also, yeah, he also got some good stuff. Thanks for watching, everybody. Good night, all.